Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, you know, in many ways, uh, I think of John Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it unfolded quickly, and uh, uh, the president thought that everything would be fine, and uh, that was not the case. But President Kennedy took responsibility for what took place. And I, I, I strongly recommend to President Biden that he take responsibility, admit the mistakes that were made. That's Leon Panetta, former Secretary of Defense and Secretary or ran the CIA. Um, uh, I'm not, you know, for domestic consumption, that sort of stuff is important. I'm not sure on the global stage if any of that matters right now. Yeah, the president is taking it from all sides. But, yeah, let's talk about the uh, global effects. Ian Bremmer is the president of Eurasia Group. Uh, They help business leaders, policymakers, and folks like us understand the world around us. Ian Bremmer joins us. Ian, how are you, sir? Hey, good to be back with you guys. You're one of the many Twitter feeds I followed a lot over the weekend trying to get kind of the global perspective of this. How is the rest of the world, whether it's the Middle East or China, going to interpret what's happened in the last week? Oh, the China Chinese are you know doing donuts right now, saying the U.S. is in decline. And if you're Taiwan, this shows you you can't trust the Americans and we're going to take over soon. I mean, you know, they are leaning into a debacle on the ground and saying that that reflects American weakness. Um, the allies, of course, are, are deeply concerned uh, because they were not consulted. They fought with the Americans side by side mm. in Afghanistan for 20 years. But when it came time to leave, that decision was made unilaterally on an internal a domestic policy review by Biden. And they're not happy about that. Um, so no, no, and you're right. I mean, Biden is taking it from all sides right now. There is no easy way to lose a war. And, you know, I, I do think that Biden makes, makes a compelling case for why he made the decision to leave. And by the way, a popular decision mm-hmm. at home in the United States. But but making that decision and then actually affecting that decision on the ground are two very different things. And it's very clear from the last 72 hours that the United States has made some very big mistakes on the ground. There's a tendency to make grand grand pronouncements when something like this occurs. It's a good way to get uh, air and clicks and the rest of it. Uh, Do you think when the dust settles a year or two from now, this is going to be seen as a major global development or just another chapter in Afghanistan's long, troubled history? It's not over yet. Um, I think that as long as no Americans are killed... As we close this, um, there'll be a big spike in attention on the 9-11 anniversary when the Taliban are parading all of the American equipment material that they've stolen. And, you know, the embassy's closed and uh, Taliban flags on top of it. That That's going to be bad in the United States and globally. But that's not, you know, you asked me midterm elections 2024 is Afghanistan playing a big role. The answer is no, as long as it doesn't get worse. But, you know, you still have five to 10,000 Americans on the ground right now in Afghanistan. And you guys will forgive me if I don't trust the Taliban when they say that they're not going to interfere with the ability of Americans to get out. I'd rather get the Americans out first and then, then, then say, OK, it's done. Because if we end up with a hostage type situation like we did with the American embassy in Tehran in 79, this will be the end of Biden's presidency. He will have, he will have destroyed it. 
And I don't think that's going to happen, but it's not like a 1% chance. There's a real possibility of that. So, I mean, let's just recognize that we're still in it right now. How how would Taiwan, for instance, not look at this and think, wow, I'm not sure they're going to come to our defense? Uh, well, there's a big difference between Taiwan and, say, Afghanistan. I put Afghanistan more in the Ukraine and Georgia camp. These are countries that irrespective of what we say, we don't actually care about because we don't have significant national interests at play. And so when they get invaded by the Russians in the case of Ukraine or Georgia, or when the Taliban takes over in the case of Afghanistan, we just pull out. We say, hey, sorry, we'll support human rights and maybe we'll put some sanctions on, but that's it. I mean, if the Chinese were to take Taiwan, I want to be very clear, um, our our industry in the United States, I mean, you know, anything from automotives to home appliances to advanced technology, we don't have semiconductors. Eighty percent of all semiconductors exported globally come from Taiwan. There is this is a critical national interest in the United States. And there is no question in my mind that we would defend it. Uh, and and that that speaks to the U.S. military engagement, to the arms sales, to the to the fawn ops, the freedom of navigation operations we have in the region. And, and and to be clear, the Chinese government is very well aware of that. So there is a difference between the propaganda that we're hearing from the Chinese government right now that trumpets American declinism and the reality of the balance of power, the strategic ambiguity, which is the name of that policy that we have with Taiwan. Ian Brummer, president of Eurasia Group, is on the line. Ian, the administration, the president himself, looked very shaky to us right now, not inspiring a lot of confidence in, you know, our national security uh, situation. What do you think they're saying in the uh, the parlors of Chairman Xi or in Moscow or Tehran about Biden and the administration? Yeah, they, they think that he's made a big mistake. This is the, the first foreign policy crisis of his administration, and it's largely self-inflicted. Um, and they think he looks weak, and they know that the credibility of American commitments, which had been shaken under Trump's America First administration, um, has now been further damaged under Biden, despite the fact that Biden's all about America is back. But let's also be clear that China has big problems right now. The third largest port in the world is presently partially closed because of Delta variant in China. And their vaccines don't really work against Delta variant. Ours do in the United States. They've got big debt problems. They've got big demographic problems. I mean, they're increasingly shutting down international IPOs because they can't control their local corporations, even though the private sector drives most of their efficiency. And uh, and that that continues to be the case. It's, it's funny you brought, bring up COVID, and this is the first story that has bumped COVID off the front page since COVID started. And, uh, I mean, we've, yeah. we've done a couple of days where we barely mentioned COVID. What, what is the COVID story globally right now? Well, the global story today, and it's quite linked to Afghanistan, is that the United States in the coming days is going to approve um, third booster shots uh, for the entire American population that has already been vaccinated uh, eight months after the second vaccination, after the course has been completed. And the World Health Organization is strongly opposing the United States doing that while most of the global population hasn't gotten their first jab yet. 
And they're saying, look, if you want to give, you know, your immunocompromised people booster shots, fine. That's a tiny percentage of the population. But this is a global problem. We've got to pay attention to the rest of the world. And the Biden administration's response is actually, I'm not president of the world. I'm just president of the United States. And I really don't care about what happens in these other countries. Now, he's not saying it that way. And we're providing donations to other countries. But to be very clear, right, the rest of the world is looking at the U.S., and is increasingly sensing that American interests, irrespective of who the president is, increasingly do not align well with the interests of their own countries or the world as a whole. Bit of a general question. When do you see the world's uh, economic supply chain situation getting back to something close to normal? Um, You know, I think that the issue is you're still going to see a lot of rolling disruptions uh, because countries are responding to COVID in such different ways and because the Delta variant has so much spread. So, I mean, China, the uh, supply chain for China, you'll remember, uh, over a year ago was almost fully back up and running. This was second quarter 2020. And today you're seeing rolling disruptions again. Why? Because the Chinese government has zero tolerance for spread, especially with vaccines that don't work very well. There's still a lot of spread that we're going to see in middle and lower income economies. And that means that we're not going to have, uh, you know, international tourism back to what it was. We aren't going to have uh, those citizens allowed to travel to other countries where they can make more money and send remittances back home. So I think that supply chain will still see rolling disruptions probably until, you know, uh, mid to late 2022 at a minimum. Well, the reason I ask is because my wife and I have been waiting for our dining room set for six months. Do you have any idea <laughs> yeah. where it is? Where Where is it coming from? Yeah, probably China. I don't even know. Why don't, you, why don't you get a van and go to North Carolina like yeah, a real American exactly. and actually buy something that Americans are doing? Yeah, some decent My furniture. wife picked it out. Are you, you kidding? your wife, for Christ's sake. I mean, yeah. Who's in charge in your household? I'm, I'm you really have to ask you. that? No, I don't. It's not fair. Um, uh, my my final question flitted out of my head because I've got a senior moment happening. What was it about? It was about you uh, and the president. Oh, so is Afghanistan just so we're you know how uh, however messy this is going to be over the last couple of weeks, assuming we get most people out and everything like that. Is Afghanistan just going to be a hellhole run by these fundamentalist nut jobs that brutalize the population for the near future? Uh, well, I mean, ish, in the sense that they it's easy for the Taliban to take over the country. They're not going to be able to run it very well. I mean, the northern territories will still be effectively run by warlords. They'll engage in lots of, you know, rapacious taxation of local farmers, uh, and the farmers will have to grow opium uh, so that they can make enough money to be able to pay it. But they're not going to be governed by the Taliban. The Taliban will govern, you know, pockets of the country and some cities and Kabul. Um, And so when you see the Chinese saying they're going to come in, they're going to befriend these guys, maybe they'll invest. Back before 9-11, Unical was trying to build a pipeline that was going to connect uh, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, and Pakistan. It was the geopolitically stupidest pipeline everyone, anyone had ever thought of trying to build. It never happened. Um, Now we say, we're not talking about oil, we're talking about rare earths, and there are trillions of dollars of rare earths located underneath Afghanistan. The only problem is you have to actually invest there. 
And the Chinese are going to find that equally challenging over the long term. Taliban's going to have high taxes. The opium farmers need to pay their fair share. (laughs) Beautiful. Ian Bremmer, president of Eurasia Group. Ian, we always appreciate it when you uh, carve off a couple minutes for us. Thanks a million. Be good, guys. Thanks. We've got hundredaires and thousandaires (laughs) who need to pay their fair share. How many goats does one man need? (laughs) Oh, geez. By the way, I just got a text from Judy, North Carolina. Yeah, I figured you bought real furniture, not the Chinese furniture that I usually get. Yeah. I got yeah. like a couple of real pieces of furniture. They're way better. They, they cost a lot more, but they're way better. I mean. Oh, and if your kids want them, they'll be in yeah. great shape when your kids are, you know, of age. Yeah. Although from what I hear, you know, Generation Z, they they, they, they sit on the floor, they eat off cardboard boxes. They <laughs> got right. no use for uh the, No use for the, uh, furniture. The key difference between real furniture and cheap, crappy furniture Cheap, crappy furniture, you reach under it to move, you're going to get jabbed with a staple. Real furniture, you are not. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so <laughs> now, come on, China! That is the difference. I got a big old scar on my forearm. I don't know if you can see it. It's faded a little bit, but it looks like a suicide attempt because I reached behind a cheap, crappy yep. sofa there in a go. hotel room to yep. unplug my charger, yep. and it just sliced my entire forearm yep. open. Cheap, crappy furniture. Lots of China! Uh, text line 415-295-KFTC. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Those of you listening to the podcast, I guess, or listening online, you heard Ian Bremmer drop an S-bomb? Yeah, I think people streaming heard it. Yeah. <laughs> he must Hope feel, you enjoyed it. He it was hilarious. Feel, he must feel pretty comfortable with us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could have aired it. I mean, I know. Such he's a, he's mild a well, yeah, he's a, he's an eminent uh, you know commentator on the world stage. He saw fit to drop an S bomb. Uh, I didn't hate it. I mean, I don't want it to happen a lot. Um. So next segment, we're going to play a little of Joe Biden's speech and then some of the reaction from different corners. Uh, people left, right, and center had a lot to say about it. Very little of it positive. So I'm at the skating rink the other day. Like the roller skating rink? Roller skating rink. My youngest, uh, Henry, wanted to go to the roller skating rink. He saw something on TV, and I said, yeah, we can go to a roller skating rink. And we went to a roller skating rink that has been around for like 75 years or something like that, this roller skating rink. And we went, and we uh, got the skates and laced them up, and he got this little walker thing that you go around if you don't know how to roller skate. I still was a pretty fabulous roller skater. Still. Still pretty good. I can't go backwards like you can, but I, uh, but I can go around really fast. Anyway, I think if I tried at this point, I would end up on my head. Roller skating at all? Uh, no, like skating oh. backwards and doing all those turns yeah. and stuff. I was pretty impressive. There were guys there that, that were definitely reliving their skate roller skate uh, glory days. That yes. were really digging. But so, at some point, and they got a DJ. Got a DJ at the roller skate rink, and we're going to slow it down now. And I remember this from my days at the roller skating rink when I was uh, like a kid. And I'd be at the roller skating rink, and this song comes on. This song comes on, and they got the lights turned down low, and you got boys and girls skating around holding hands. Ah, oh. and I, as I uh, have mentioned on the air a few times, I'm going through a divorce. I'm standing over there in the corner, and it occurred to me, it was, I had this weird like deja vu thing, except it wasn't a deja vu; it was real. 
except this song was brand new 40 years ago. When I was at a roller skating rink, I guarantee you, listening to the same freaking song except it was new, watching the people holding hands and feeling like a sad sack loser because I don't have a girl. And I thought, this is so crazy. 40 years between the first time I was at a roller skater rink feeling sad because those people are holding hands, and now. That doesn't even seem possible. But I I was standing alongside the wall at the roller skating rink, watching them in the dark. They got the sparkly ball in the center. Of course they do. Playing the same Journey song. I hope 40 years from now that I, that I, I don't have the similar experience. Consoled yourself with a corn dog and a you, coke. You just wouldn't think that could happen. If he'd have told me when I was a kid, forty years from now, you're going to be alone and sad listening to the same song on a roller rink. I thought, what the hell? Is that Wait a minute, the same song? <laughs> Why am I at a roller rink? <laughs> Wait a minute, I'll be what a fifty. Why am I at a roller rink? <laughs> How is any of this even possible? But it was. It was. Whoever you are, get out of my face, you crackpot. I had more hair then. You You don't understand. That's about the only difference is I had more hair then. Other than that, everything was exactly the same. Same sad feeling. Oh, my God. Can Uh, you still do that squatty thing with your leg forward? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Sure you can. (laughs) Uh, Biden's speech and some of the reaction to it coming up next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's hard to argue that the White House didn't shank the withdrawal. Take a look at this clip from Biden on July 8th. The likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Wow. That is the most inaccurate prediction from a president since Abe Lincoln said, See you after the play! So, you know, I mentioned earlier with Ian Bremmer, who dropped an S-bomb on the show, that uh, this is the first story to bump COVID off the front page since COVID arrived on the scene. It's also the first time that I've seen this much unanimity between the lefty media and the righty media in years. It's remarkable the beating that Biden's taking from MSNBC and CNN at all. Yeah, although Nicole Wallace of MSNBC, who I find the worst kind of person, uh, she was a Republican, (laughs) and then she goes on MSNBC to to beat up on Republicans because it pays well. Just so freaking weak. It means you have no... Well, these people are soulless. They have they no are, principles. They are completely yeah. soulless. Anyway, but she said something that's kind of interesting, because she worked for George Bush as a communications person and that sort of thing, so she knows about this sort of stuff. But she said, uh, after Biden's speech, first thing she said was, 95% of the media thinks this was horrible. 95% of America thinks, just glad we're out. And I wonder if she's not right about that. And a lot there's of, definitely a measure of truth to that. And yeah. a, a lot of the people that you see on media, part of the reason that they feel the way they feel is they've been to Afghanistan and they've seen it. You'd have a completely different Jake Tapper, for instance. He's uh, he's written books about friends that he lost 
that serving in the military and that sort of stuff. If you were like really involved on the ground with either service people lost their lives or seeing these little girls going to school or whatever, you'd have a completely different. It's not. It wouldn't be academic. It yeah. wouldn't be an ac- academic discussion. Anyway, Biden's speech. Here's some of the reaction. Steve Hayes of the Dispatch, who's usually fairly measured, tweeted out this. That's one of the worst presidential speeches I've ever heard. The cowardice, the incoherence, the blame shifting, the internal contradictions. For Biden to point to the events of last week as evidence that his decision was the right one just boggles the mind. Joe Biden, the leader of the free world, portraying himself as a helpless, passive actor in Afghanistan. Pathetic. Jonah Goldberg explained the speech this. He summed it up this way. Biden, the buck stops with me, and I take full responsibility, but my hands were tied by Trump and is the Afghan military's fault. We were prepared for this, but we were caught off guard. We're giving the country to the Taliban, but we'll hold them accountable. Yeah, that wow. gets to the contradictions. I, I noticed a few of those in real time where I thought, wait a second, didn't you a little bit ago say, what? Hmm? Yeah. You were completely prepared for this. You were completely caught off guard, separated by like two minutes of speaking. A lot of reactions around the horn yesterday. Let's uh, let's hit clip 60, Lindsey Graham. The person to blame here is the commander-in-chief who rejected sound military advice. Joe Biden has been incompetent most of his political life when it comes to foreign policy. 61, Dan Crenshaw. The incompetence of the Biden administration on this is, is, is really overwhelming. There needs to be resignations. There needs to be firings. Uh, and how about uh, Charles Krauthammer, the late Charles Krauthammer, clip 63. The Taliban understand exactly what's going to happen. If the allies, the West is going to leave, the war will resume and they assume they will ultimately defeat the government already in Kabul. So they have no incentive to concede anything. Correct. That has always been the case. And there was... The details of the way this ended were horrible. Bad planning. What the heck? As we were talking about earlier in the show, Brian Williams actually brought this up, of all people, last night. Um, Why didn't we keep open our Air Force base there outside of Kabul and operate from there? Right. Leave that open. Make that the last thing we close. Instead of using a city airport that's kind of in the city and is all a mess and we don't have security, how about our own completely secure airbase how about we operate from there and fly everybody out what that's i would like i would actually like to hear that question answered by a general and and then ask why nobody's had to resign over this because that just seems unless there's something i'm missing that seems incredibly illogical we have our own airport why are we closing it and then going to the civilian one that's a good question uh moving along some more comment how about uh brit hume in 64 yeah, you got to feel for these people this time, for John Kirby at the Pentagon and that poor sap at the State Department has got to come out and try to make sense of all this and try to make it sound like there's some rational policy involved here. There is not. Um, this is a calamity, a disaster, a, a completely botched operation. And, the, it, it, and I don't think you can blame the guys with suits at the Pentagon or the suits at the State Department. They're just doing the best they can to defend it. This is on Biden. He overruled his general's wishes and proceeded with this. He didn't have to do it this way. He did it. This is his the way he wanted to do it. And the political consequences of this, I think, will be long-lasting. His, you know, his base will back him, and the people who want it out will support him, and so on. But there are a lot of people in the middle here who watch something as tragic as this and as hideous as this who will not come back to him. 
So what is going to be the next debacle, I wonder? And this is, I almost brought this up with Ian Bremmer. I wonder if there's going to be an overcorrection, maybe an appropriate correction. But I got to believe the Biden team feels like next foreign policy crisis, we need to show ourselves to be strong and competent. And so maybe something comes along that they would have handled completely different if they didn't have to come off as really strong and competent. For instance, right now, just in, Iran has accelerated its uranium enrichment to near weapons grade, according to the IAEA. The organization for the world that looks at this says that they're near weapons grade now. We going to do something or not? For, yeah, boy, that instance. one's complicated because they, uh, Iran has all sorts of horrendous problems internally right now. And I wonder if the biggest favor we could do the regime is, you know, jumping ugly in one way or another and people rally around the Grand Ayatollah. Uh, so that's that's complicated. You know, it just popped into my head. I was thinking about this a lot yesterday. Even in the midst of uh, the chaos of yesterday, there was not a single news person who described Afghanistan, you know, at large, or, you know, Afghanistan overall and the situation and the timeline, blah, blah, as anything but a war ever. It was always yep. the war, yep. the longest war, America's longest war. Nobody even conceived of saying we're there to support a friendly regime that's not quite ready to stand on its own. And if, if somehow somebody had conveyed that message, that feel, Hell, let's even even me saying it out loud right now. I start to get a different view of Afghanistan, and I start to think, well, I don't know. We haven't we've had like one combat casualty there in the last is it two years or like one or death in a year I'm, and a half? Yeah, it's something like that. Anyway, um, with all due respect to the the non fatal sacrifices that have been made by many brave Americans, um, and the fact was the special forces were getting more and more capable. There's only probably 50,000 of them, but that's a start. 30, 40, 50, I can't remember the number, but the, the number, the 320,000 Afghan army, That's that number is fiction, complete fiction. But the special forces guys were pretty good fighters and all, and so I just, I don't know. It seems odd to me that everybody just kept repeating war. It's the war. It's a war. It's a war in Afghanistan. Still in 20 years, we're at war. We're still at war. We weren't close to at war for the last several years. One thing, I just can't believe Americans are that dumb that we can't handle a transition like that. I know. Uh, I've wondered why we we're calling it a war for like a decade now. Uh, one thing Tucker Carlson brought up last night that I did not know was the extent to which we were trying to make Afghanistan woke. Um, we forced their universities. Oh, you can have your university open and we'll help pay for it, but you have to... You have to provide these gender studies classes. You have to provide these... Um, uh, gender roles in males classes and stuff like that. Stuff that didn't even exist in America a few years ago. We're going to put in Afghanistan that's, right. you know, living in the year 600. We mandated that 10% of their military be female and a higher, even a higher percentage of the government in a country that has no cultural recognition of that sort of thing from women. No. Um, trying to force things that wouldn't have worked in middle America in the 70s um, on Afghanistan. It just seems crazy to me. 
Well, and it's still just the academic fringe. You know, in answer to your and Tucker's statements, I say the same things I've said about uh, trying to instill this garbage in America. This is a small fringe of way left academics who are trying to impose this bizarre, you know, queer theory, gender theory stuff, critical race theory on the population. The idea of putting it in Afghanistan is, I mean... Well, it, it's women, wrong-headed to do it here. It's psychotic to try to do it there. Women being allowed in governments, not some sort of crazy psychotic out there fringe. Uh, oh no, 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 no! But it no. is for Afghanistan. You got to rec- You got to. You know. You got to recognize where you are at the time. I mean, if this would, if if it took until the '60s for women to start to get integrated in the workplace and government, you know, for advanced nations, you can't force. 20 the year 2021 values on Afghanistan now that's crazy of course that they rebelled against that at all levels yeah it's just i i can't believe there are people that think the university there in kabul needs the the, the uh gender roles in modern society well, and you have to keep in mind, as uh, Lindsay and Pluckrose made uh, clear in the book Cynical Theories, women's studies is not gender studies. Gender studies is this new thing they invented because women have got their rights and are dominating the universities and the rest of it. Gender studies is all, there are no sexes. There are 47 different genders. There are no physical, biological differences between men and women. This is where you get birthing people. And the uh, what was the government agency just announced that chest they feeding. would refer to chest feeding instead of breastfeeding. And, and nursing mothers would now be nursing people or chest feeding people. Chest feeding this sounds is, awful. This is out of gender studies. It's bizarre crap it's not like if you're picturing women's lib and women get paid 77 cents or no that's not what they're talking about these are these wackadoodles what did we hear the other day was the percentage of illiteracy among the afghan military it was very only they're only like three to five percent that were not illiterate but so how do you try to jump from can't read or to, count to or count to gender studies. There's a lot of normal education that goes in between there before you can get to the 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 most woke version of university. So weird. How did we think that was going to work? You know, we ought to hit some of that stuff that Tucker said. Uh, it's pretty damned funny. Anyway, our text line is four one five two nine five KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. So I saw this headline in the New York Times over the weekend. Everything we think we knew about metabolism is wrong. Oh, big giant study on the metabolism of human beings. And I'll tell you, the headline to me was. You can't blame your metabolism for the fact that you are gaining weight. Um. The average person, I didn't know this either, but the average person gains about a pound and a half a year during adulthood. Yes, I have. (laughs) And that's why you can so easily not notice it. Because, you know, if you gain 10 pounds between age 25 and 35 at that rate, you don't really notice it until all of a sudden you just see a picture of yourself when you're 25 and think, oh, I look different now. 
but that goes pretty slow. But here's here's what they have learned about the metabolism, and this is a real study. I do not engage in stupid one-off studies. This is a long-term, many people, they've verified it sort of study. Central to the findings about metabolism, there are four distinct stages of life for your metabolism. And you're probably in a point where yours isn't changing. Uh, There's infancy up until age one when calorie burning is at its peak and your metabolism is about 50% above the adult rate. Fat, lazy babies. Babies burn fat fast, and they're still fat. Yeah. It's because of all that chest feeding. Exactly. By nursing people. Then from age one till about 20, metabolism gradually slows by about 3% a year. But here's the thing that was surprising to them, and this to eliminates all our excuses. Your metabolism holds steady from age 20 to 60. It does not decline from 20 to 60. It stays that's, the same. That's crazy. That's wrong. It's incorrect. You've brought us <laughs> bad information, and you should apologize. <laughs> then after age 60, it starts to decline, but not a lot, by about 0.7% a year, although that adds up. Uh as might be expected, why the metabolic metabolic rate patterns hold for the population, individuals vary. Some people have a metabolic rate 25% above average. Some people have one 25% below average. And uh, it sucks if you're the below average. We've all known people that have got the above average as they can eat whatever the heck they want and it doesn't have any effect on them. So just, just to, to, to lay this out, am I correct? They're claiming that you can eat the same things in the same amount at age 50 as you can at 25 well, they don't, and have the same weight gain. They don't say that ex, uh, explicitly, but I think that's what it would be. Let me read here. The group also... the, the Bull excrement. The, the original uh, researchers expected the metabolism of adults to start slowing when they were in their 40s. Or especially for women with the onset of menopause, they didn't see that either. One, metabolic metabolic slowing doesn't start until about age sixty uh, for men and women, and there's no difference between men and women. It says here there's always been a belief that men have a higher metabolism. They said there's no difference between men and women. This seems like the sort of thing we chuckle about ten years from now when they discover X factor. You know. Well, the, well, maybe it's not metabolism as they define it, but the idea that what I just said a minute ago is is correct is hilarious. That you can eat the same way at 40 as you did at 25. Well, or even 55, according to them. Yeah. No, well, that so seems we'll say silly. 50 to round down. It seems silly. Now, do you get that much less exercise at 50 than you did 25? I don't know. Depends on your life. I just I wonder if the scientists define the term metabolism differently than the rest of oh, us. Yeah, I, think, I wonder if they're talking at some cellular level or something that I don't comprehend. I think I think we probably use it wrong. I think if you probably you have probably figured it out. I'll bet we in the general population use the term metabolism, but it's not correct. It's something else. Yeah. Uh, the rate at which you burn calories. Or I don't know what their definition of metabolism is, but yeah, when you propose p- it that way, it's impossible that that's true. There's not yeah, a the- single human being that would say, yep, yep, I can eat pizza and donuts exactly the same way at 50 as I did when I was 25, exactly the same result. Are you sure. 50? <laughs> the great Ian Bremmer there. <laughs> 15 beers on a weekend, no problem. Same as when I was 23. No weight gain. All right. Okay. All right. 
Yeah, the great Ian Bremmer dropped an S-bomb on her. Can we hear that again? Are you shitting me? <laughs> I don't know if he forgot he was on the air with us, or we're just... He doesn't care. <laughs> well, he's a global, uh, you know, security consultant. He doesn't... He can't remember. Am I on in Zimbabwe or Russia or Canada or the U.S.? What are the laws? I don't know. Are there parts of the world where the S-bombs are okay? I'm supposed to remember all these laws? Are you blanking me? Are you shitting me? Right. That's what he's saying. Come on. <laughs> what made him think he could say that? Well, and you know what? I was I was too subtle in the question I was asking him. Oh, I was trying to ask him. I was trying to be somewhat dignified about it. Is Biden, Biden a senile old man with a crumbling administration? And he didn't really go there. But he did point out that uh, that China has enormous challenges right now. They just don't have a free press, so we don't hear about them nearly as much. I don't know. That picture they released where he looks like a two-year-old at a grown-up table, alone on the side of the room, hunched over in his golf shirt, looking like he weighs about 110 pounds. Yeah, he looked like an 80-year-old in his living room with an unusually large coffee table watching Fox News. <laughs> Not exactly looking like the robust and, and courageous leader of the free world. What an interesting photo to put out. Yeah. Somebody Flounder. thought that was going to help him putting that photo out over the weekend. I haven't heard anybody who didn't react with what. Yeah. They're just hapless. They're floundering. Well, remember all the microphone problems they had when he was running in that stuff? Armstrong right. and Getty.